Good morning. Welcome to First Church this morning. For those uh, listening to the radio, welcome uh, as we start our service. Uh, announcements this morning. Welcome uh, to our church, a guest organist, Mr. Gene Britton. Gene's from Marysville, Ohio, where his wife, Tanya, is the pastor of First English Lutheran Church in Marysville. So, welcome. Congratulations to Casey and Brad Phillips this week on the birth of their daughter, Lila Ray, who arrived on Monday. Congratulations to that family. And on Wednesday, July 19th, uh, we're going to go over and pack bags for the summer feeding program over at Agape in St. Mary's. We're still looking for more volunteers uh, that want to help with that. We intend to pack maybe up to a 1,000 bags of food for those uh, kids that need it. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the front pew, and or you can uh, text your name and the word agape to the number there in your bulletin. So appreciate any of that help that you could give us. We'll begin our worship with the uh, call to worship, Psalm 146, if you would please rise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord, all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those who tell the God of Jacob, who spoke to the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God is mine for all generations. Praise the Lord. Now we will continue to stand and sing How Deep the Father's Love.
ask the children to come forward for a children's chat with Ms. Rohrball. And while... Well, good morning to you all. How are you all? You're good? Well, Pastor Joel today is going to be talking about not playing favorites. Um, I have a couple Bibles here. I think they're pretty cool. But you guys have to tell me which one that you would choose. So I have this first one. This first one. Now, it looks like a really good Bible, right? But when I open it up, it looks like maybe the spine here is coming apart. This looks all worn and weathered, huh? Okay, so there's option one. Now, here's a really good Bible. The outsides are good. What color is that? Gold. Okay. The pages look really good, don't they? Yeah? Okay, so there's Bible number two. Here's this action Bible. And it's got a really good cover and it's got really good outsides. And look at all the pictures inside. It's like a comic book. Exactly. It's got little captions and great pictures. It's a comic book Bible. And then here's my Bible. Let me open this up. I have a cover on it. Let me take all my pens out. So this one is new. This one, it looks like the, the insides are good. But this has got oh, this has got writing all over it. There's some highlighted pages, so the pages aren't like the other ones. So there's some there's some writing in here. Now that's the fourth Bible. Which Bible is the best? This little one. Why is this one the best? It doesn't have any rusty spots or any worn spots. It doesn't have any dust on it. There's no writing on the pages. The seam is intact. Is there any other Bibles that are really good? The comic book one? Because that one's in really good shape too, right? But now, is that a Bible? No. no? Why not? Because it just has pictures. It just has pictures, and it's kind of like a comic book. It literally is comic book strips to tell comic stories, huh? are not real. Comic books are not real. <laughs> well, what about these other two? What about the one that has writing in it? Or what about the one that's like got the really, really used spine to it? Are those good Bibles? No, why not? Because you can't write. You can't write in the Bible? Well, each Bible, even though they're very different, and each of us have different Bibles that we have, because you guys have different Bibles when you guys get confirmed or you, um, you get into junior high and high school, you guys get different Bibles because you're at different stages in your life. And no matter if it's a comic book Bible a brand new Bible, a Bible that's really, really worn, 
or a Bible here that's got a ton of writing in it, isn't it all the same message? It's, it's all the same message because it's all the Bible. Now, just because I have writing in it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Or just because it's a comic book Bible, because somebody understands a comic book Bible better than they understand this Bible or a King James Bible, it doesn't matter what the Bible looks like. Now, if you're at school and you have a kid, maybe he's got Under Armour shirts, Under Armour shorts, Nike shoes, and like really cool colored socks. But you have another boy on the playground that's got maybe got holy jeans, maybe not the best shoes, maybe they have a tear in them, maybe his shirt's kind of dirty, maybe he pulled it out of the laundry, but that was the one that he had maybe that wasn't as dirty as the other ones. Which boy would you play with? The cleaner one? But should we judge somebody? Should we play favorites because somebody else has good clothes versus somebody who doesn't have good clothes? No, because they're both the same inside, right? They both have the same heart, just like the words inside this Bible are the same inside every Bible, no matter how it's interpreted or how it comes across, how the message is said. So next time when you guys have somebody maybe on the playground or at school, and just because maybe they don't have the coolest clothes, maybe think about that and say, what's on the inside? Because the inside is what matters, because we don't want to play favorites, right? No? Okay. It'll make the other person really sad. They don't want to be left out. Nobody does, do they? No. You play with both of them, include both of them. That's a great idea, Craig. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Lord, we so thank you for these children coming up here today. We thank you for their hearts and where their minds are, Lord. I pray that you keep molding them and you keep shaping them into very strong Christian people. Lord, I pray for their week, that they have a good week this week and a great rest of their summer. And Lord, when the school time happens, Lord, let them be knowledgeable and give them the courage to not play favorites and to include everyone. Lord, we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. Let's pray together again. Father, we are so grateful uh, for this day to come and to worship you on this beautiful morning. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have as believers to gather in this place and to worship you with one voice. Uh, Lord, especially as we Go into this holiday week uh, with Fourth of July and and all the the celebrations that go on and the celebrations that we got to experience this weekend, Lord. Help us to not take for granted uh, the freedoms that we have in this country uh, to gather to worship you in freedom um, and to to worship you, Lord, as we see fit, uh, Lord. And, and and thank you, Lord, and, and and pray that you would be with those brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, Lord, who are gathering even now to worship you. Um, who don't have those same privileges. Give them the strength and the courage and the faith to continue to to seek after you and to continue to worship you, even in the midst of persecution and hardship, even at the the fear of of being arrested or being persecuted in some way, Lord. Uh, Lord, help them to, to stay strong. Help them to remember and keep their focus on you. And Lord, even as we gather and 
and relative safety and, and freedom, Lord, um, help us to not take that for granted and help our focus to be on you as well. And, and, and all that we do and everything that we do, um, keep our focus and our attention on you. Lord, it's so easy to be distracted at times, um, especially in the, the busyness of life. Uh, Lord, so help us to, to focus in uh, this time, this day, on you this morning. Lord, we, we do want to lift up these other concerns that are listed for us in the bulletin. Um, Lord, these, these names and these families that are listed all are in need of something, uh, in need of healing, in need of restoration, in need of provision. Uh, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray that your spirit would be with them to guide them, to comfort them, to give them peace. And pray ultimately, Lord, that your will would be done. Lord, we often think we know what's best for us. We often think we know what the answer to our prayer should be ahead of time. Lord, help us to not focus on what we want, but what is your will for us and what is best for us according to your plan. Uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are a good God who loves and cares for his children. We are grateful for that and, and don't want to, to neglect that or forget that no matter what we face in this life. Lord, thank you for all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Invite those who are helping with the offering to please come forward at this time. Our offering this morning goes to support the general fund here at the church. And we're going to be blessed this morning with music from David Irvin on trumpet and Gene Britton on the organ.
remain standing this morning and follow along in your bulletins or your Bibles as we hear today's scripture reading, which comes from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scriptures of love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you would remain standing and please get out your blue hymnals and turn to page 185 and sing in the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have this morning uh, to worship you through song, to come before you in prayer, lifting up our requests and praises to you. And Lord, now at this time to to open your word uh, to what it has to say to us this morning. I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, your message and pray that you give me words to speak uh, that, that, that emphasize and that, that um, help us to understand your word better. Lord, help us all to, to have open hearts and open minds to you this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. I heard the story this one time about a, a, a church, um, maybe, maybe similar to this, a pretty good-sized church, uh, church building and sanctuary, and it was in more of a downtown location, an area that had... Uh, once been very, um, very well-to-do, a uh, very good part of town and a beautiful church that had a long, rich history, much like this church does. Uh, but, but over time, that area of town had kind of gradually um, succumbed to decay, I guess you could say. Uh, some of the, a lot of the, the, the wealth, a lot of the, the money in the area had kind of left that, that part of town. And, and, and um, many of the people that belonged to the church uh, kind of moved out to the suburbs, yet they still continued to go to the church and attend that church. They would, they would drive in. And so many people who went to the church no longer lived in that part of town that the church belonged. And so you had a lot of people that, were, that still had quite a bit of money, quite a, quite a wealthy uh, congregation, yet it was located in a part of town that had, had been hit hard by, by tough economic times. And so Sunday after Sunday, the church was, was packed out and people were, were sitting in the pews in their, in their nice clothes. Many of them wore suits and ties and, you know, they, they broke out their Sunday best each week. And so one Sunday, as, as the church service had begun and, and the, the pews were packed, um, the doors in the back of the sanctuary opened and in walks this gentleman who appeared to have wandered in off the streets. He had this a look like he was possibly a homeless person. You know, his clothes were, were dirty. They were not the right clothes, right? Everybody was in suits and ties and dresses. And this person wandered in wearing dirty, torn jeans and boots, um, a shirt that looked like it hadn't been washed in quite some time, uh, and, and hair that was just long and unkempt. And, and you could just tell that this person had been hit with rough times, uh, probably hadn't had a good shower in a while, Right. And so as, as he walks into the sanctuary, every head turns and sees him. Everybody looks and sees this, this person who walked in. And since, there were, since the sanctuary was packed out, there was no place to sit. And as, as he walked in, he kept coming further and further towards the front of the sanctuary because he was trying to find a place to sit down. And nobody was willing to scooch over and, and make room for him in the pews. And so uh, as the service is, is going on and as the preacher is talking he just gets closer and closer and closer to the front. And pretty soon the whole church realizes what's going on. They see this person that seems so out of place, you know, making their way to the front of the, the sanctuary. And pretty soon he gets right up to the front, still not able to find a seat. And so he does the only thing that he can think of. And he just sits down right in the middle of the aisle and just makes a place for himself there. And so at this point, everybody knows what's going, you know, everybody sees it and they're thinking, what, what are we going to do? What's the preacher going to do? What's, what's going to happen here? And pretty soon, one of the elders in the church, right, in his, in his, you know, expensive suit and tie stands up 
right, and begins to walk over towards this person sitting in the sitting in the middle of the aisle. And everybody's thinking, okay, here it goes, right? He's going to ask this person to get up or to, to go somewhere else or maybe even ask him to leave the church entirely. And so every eye in the sanctuary is on this person. Even the preacher kind of stops to see what's going to happen. And this, this gentleman, this elder in this, this perfect business suit, right? Probably pretty expensive. He walks up right behind, right next to this person, looks down, kind of straightens his tie, pulls back his, pulls up his pants a little bit. And just sits down right next to him. Doesn't say a word. He just sits down right there next to that person who had wandered in to the service. And of course, everybody in the church, everybody in the sanctuary was moved by that display of compassion and acceptance. Uh, This person who, um, by all appearances, right, didn't belong in the church with the rest of that congregation and that crowd. By the world standards, he stuck out like a sore thumb. But yet that elder in the church, that, that person saw, saw that, saw him not as someone who didn't belong, but simply someone who needed another person to come alongside him. Someone to come alongside him and support him, um, in that moment. In a time when he maybe didn't feel like he belonged because nobody was making room for him in the pews, this elder stepped alongside him and literally sat down next to him in order to show him that he did belong and he was accepted there. Now, I don't know if that ever actually happened or not. I would love to think it did, right? I would love to think that that happened. Um, But it's a story that I I came across once and and someone told me. But what a display of compassion. What a a way to show, uh, show acceptance and show to that person that they belonged um, in a place that sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, right, doesn't always uh, do well with that, right? Oftentimes churches uh, and, and churches and, and congregations have a hard time accepting people that don't look or act or think the way that we do, right? I've heard once before that, uh, that 10 o'clock, or in our case, I guess, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour uh, in our country, because we often have the tendency to gather with people that look like us and, and are in similar socioeconomic situations as us, um, because that's comfortable and that's easy. But yet what happens not then is that churches, uh, people who claim to follow Christ and claim to, to um, follow Him, uh, end up, we kind of segregate and separate ourselves from people that, that don't look the same or don't act the same as we do. And so that is not a new problem, right? That's not a problem that's just new to us. It's one that obviously the early church was facing because James here addresses this issue of showing favoritism to people. In James chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, he begins to talk about, um, in a sense, the, the practical application of what he talked about in the previous section. Last week we talked about the importance of being doers of the word and not just hearers. Right, James encouraged us to to act out, to live out our faith in a real and practical ways. Not just let God's Word go in one ear and out the other, but to actually live and do what God calls us to do in His Word. And so in this section and, and moving forward as we study James together, we're going to see some of that practical application spelled out for us. And so we see it here in James chapter 2, the encouragement to to not play favorites, to not show favoritism towards one group over another, but to accept everyone. 
And so he's, he, he's pretty straightforward here. He begins at verse 1 with the command, Brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. I think it's interesting he talks about the, the title, Glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Some of your translations may say, The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Um, it's actually a, a unique uh, title for Jesus used only here in the New Testament. But the Lord of glory, the idea that God is a glorious God is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. That God the Father is glorious. Uh, to, be, to be full of glory is, is to be like God. To be, uh, the word there has a sense of, of like weightiness, gravity, right? Uh, and so glory is, is something that's attributed to the Father throughout the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, this, glorious, this phrase, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, um, is, is unique here only. Um, glory belongs only to God. Um, it's something that's unique to Him, and, and our job is to give Him glory, to give Him honor and respect that He deserves. But when we show favoritism, when we honor some group of people or, or, or someone based on their external appearance um, over someone else, when we show favoritism in that way, in a sense what we're doing is we're giving glory to people that we shouldn't necessarily give glory to. Right? We're giving glory to people when only God deserves the glory. When we show favoritism, we're honoring people. Uh, we're unfairly giving glory to, and honor to people that, that don't deserve it based on their external appearance. And so discriminating against people in this way um, is inconsistent with authentic faith in Christ. If we claim to be believers, if we claim to be doers of the Word, as, as James encouraged us to be in chapter 1, then therefore we must not show favoritism. It's incompatible with our faith in Christ. We should be giving God glory alone. Um, he is the one that deserves it. And we shouldn't be, uh, in a sense, giving glory to people based on appearance of wealth or other external circumstances. And so to show favoritism, what James is talking about here is, is in a sense to make a judgment about people based on external appearances. He uses the example of wealth here because that's a pretty obvious one, one that uh, throughout the history of time is something that people have struggled with and dealt with. Um, it's a natural tendency to, to kind of show favor towards people that we feel are, are important or have a lot of uh, maybe power or wealth. Um, it's, it's a struggle that, that is common to all people, but that's not the only external uh, factor that we often make judgments on. We often make, show, show uh, favoritism towards people based on other factors as well, such as skin color, um, what, what kind of dress or clothing they wear, or other general physical appearances. They may look like a kind of person. They may look like me, and so it's easier for me to show favoritism towards that, that kind of person. You know, think about it in the church setting. You know, how we dress a lot of times uh, is important for some reason on Sunday mornings, isn't it? Right? Uh, some churches are very much coat and tie kind of churches, and if you don't have that sort of look, you may not feel like you belong, or people may not uh, show you the kind of uh, preference that maybe you deserve um, simply because you're not wearing the kind of clothing that is typical for church on that Sunday morning. But the opposite is true, too. You can walk into some churches in a suit and tie and feel like you stick out like a sore thumb there as well, right? So it kind of goes both ways. Uh, but the idea is that we often give preference to the people that are most like us, that are most, that are most comfortable, or that we are the most comfortable with. And so if we're used to 
dressing a certain way or acting a certain way or looking a certain way, we often give preference to people that are in that same situation. And so God, but, but we hear, we know in, through scripture that God is impartial. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God doesn't look at our physical appearance. He cares what matters. He, what matters to him is what's going on in our heart. What matters to God isn't the way we dress or the way we look or the color of our skin or how much money we have in the bank account. What God cares about and what God desires for us to care about is what happens within the human heart. In 1 Samuel 16:7, the Lord says to Samuel, the prophet, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God had rejected Saul as king because Saul, even though he looked the part, even though he looked kingly and did all the things that a king should do, he had, he had not obeyed the Lord, right? He had, his heart was not in the right place. And so, and so God tells the prophet Samuel to, to not be deceived in a sense by outward appearance. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. God does not use the same set of standards that we often use when we judge people. The God is not concerned with the outward appearance like people are, but God is concerned with the heart. And so that's why we get uh, commands in Leviticus, like Leviticus 19.15, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Right? God desires that we judge all people the same way, that we don't show favoritism towards one group over another. And so James here in James chapter 1, or excuse me, James chapter 2, he gives the example of a, a typical gathering and how, how one may show preference uh, to the rich over the poor. I think what James is doing here is he's giving them a hypothetical situation, but one that would hit close to home, one that would uh, be very easy for them to understand and be very real to their situation. Uh, the culture that, that the early church uh, developed in was a very honor-shame-based culture. And that's somewhat different than what we know and experience today in the United States, but is very alive and, and real in other parts of the country. Um, and, and what would happen in an honor-shame-based culture is, is if you're having a gathering, whether it was a, inviting people over for dinner or a, or a meeting like a church, is you would, give, uh, you would give the best spot in the room to the one who appeared to be the most maybe wealthy or powerful or, or whatnot, and, and, and so people were, in a sense, kind of ranked according to their, their, their privilege. And so the one who maybe, from the world standards, deserved the most honor was given that special place in the room. And those who did not have the sort of wealth or, or power were given the lesser spot. And so that's the same, you know, Jesus in another point in his teaching talks about how when you show up to a meeting, right, you shouldn't take the place of honor because your, get, your host may tell you to, to move on down a few steps, right? And that would be a dishonorable thing to have to deal with in front of everybody. He says instead, take the place of less honor and your host may then promote you, right? And, and, and that would be then a show of honor towards you. So those are, those are the kind of dynamics that we're dealing with here. And so James says, instead of doing what the culture says you should do, 
Instead of showing favoritism towards the person who seemingly deserves it based on their wealth or based on the the kind of clothing they wear, he says we shouldn't show favoritism in that way, but treat them both the same. Obviously, in this example, it seems like the leadership of the church was favoring people based on their apparent wealth uh, and, and favoring those that appeared wealthy while treating the seemingly poor people with contempt. And I think this, we often, uh, we do the same thing, whether we maybe sometimes subconsciously in worship services as well. You know, I think here we all kind of have our own pew, right? We have our, we have our spot there. And I've, I've joked around with some of you that you should, could just etch your name in there, right? And you can, you can have your spot reserved. Uh, but in some churches, you know, the, where you sit kind of gives a, gives a, uh, clue to, to how maybe powerful you are within the church or what kind of uh, position you have in the community as a whole. When I was a youth pastor, we took a, my youth group to New Orleans for a mission trip, and we got to go to a Wednesday night service at a church down there. Uh, and the, and I, I'll remember this always because I'm sitting there as a pastor thinking I would never do this. But they on the stage next to the pulpit, there was this giant chair that I could only describe as a throne that the pastor would sit in. And when he wasn't speaking at the pulpit, he would be sitting at this throne, and it was it was huge. It was immaculate, right? And it was his it was his place of honor right there, so that even if he wasn't at the pulpit speaking, he could still be seated where everybody in the room could see him, and where everybody in the room could could see the seat and the kind of chair he was sitting in, right? It was a it was a way that he was kind of in a sense, um, elevating himself above the rest of the church. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, even as a youth pastor at that time, that would be a pretty awkward position to be in, if, uh, if you ask me. Um, I don't know if I was debating whether or not I would even uh, mention this, because um, I'm not mentioning this to draw attention to myself, but I mention this as an example that uh, something that I've decided to do. Uh, if you notice, at the beginning of service, I like to sit down uh, down in the pews and then only come up when it's my time to uh, speak or to pray or to do my, my, my thing in the service. Uh, there's a couple reasons I do it. One is I like to sit with my family. Um, I like to spend as much time with them as I can, and they're pretty awesome people. So I like to spend time with Allie and Josephine as much as I can uh, during the service. I think that's a, a good thing. Um, but also there's another, I guess you could say, motivation, and it's the fact that I think as, as a follower of Christ, just like you, I'm no different. Even though I'm called, I've been called to be pastor here of this church and I have the, the honor and the privilege to, to teach on a regular basis and to lead worship in many ways, um, I'm no different than, than anyone sitting here. I just have a different kind of calling in my life. My calling is to, is to be blessed enough to, to, to work and to serve the church. Um, you all have different callings. You know, some of you are, are businessmen. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Some of you are um, getting to enjoy retirement at this time, right? Those are all different callings you have in your life, and one is not necessarily greater than the other, but they're all different. And so I think um, we often elevate people more than we should. And so uh, that I, I just wanted to share that as an example. I'm not, like I said, trying to draw attention to myself, but as a, as a practical application of this passage, I think that fits. And so favoritism like this, favoritism of of honoring certain people over another is a symptom of a larger problem. The problem is that people remain divided in their mind and in their faith. When we show favoritism like this, 
we indicate that we haven't truly incorporated the Word into our hearts. The Word that was planted in us hasn't really taken effect if we continue to show favoritism and continue to operate by the standards that the world operates by. If we've truly allowed God's Word to to infiltrate our hearts and our minds, if we've truly allowed it to make an impact in our lives, then we won't operate by those same standards and those same rules that the world operates by. And James spells out here three reasons why we should avoid favoritism. The first is that God has a special concern for the poor. In James chapter 1, you know, the, the section ended with about how, how true religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans, taking care of those who can't necessarily take care of themselves. And this, I would say, is an extension of that command. By showing favoritism, we're turning our back on certain groups of people that God cares for. And in doing so, we're not really, um, we're not, we're not showing that we have compassion for the people that God has compassion for. In Luke chapter 6 verse 20, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for you will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, no matter how poor Christians may be materially in the eyes of this world, they possess something of infinite value, their faith in Christ. Christians should view each other from this vantage point. Instead of judging people based on how much money they have in their bank account or what kind of clothes they wear or what they look like, we need to judge people instead based on the content of their heart and who they are on the inside. That's what matters the most. Not what someone looks like, but what uh, about but their faith in Christ. And if someone is a brother or sister in Christ, that's what matters, not what they look like. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things. The, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, God often uses the the small things, the little things in the world, for His glory and for His goodness. And so He's talking here about the poor, and how God has a special concern for them. And, and you can see that there probably were dozens of passages from the Old Testament, from the prophets, and from Jesus' ministry that showed God's special concern for the poor. That even though they may be lacking in the eyes of the world, they have something of infinite value, and that is their faith and their trust in Christ. And just a side note here, when we talk about God's special concern or special care for the poor, that doesn't mean that God cares only for the poor and that those who are rich or those who have uh, material wealth are of no concern to Him. Of course, God cares for both the poor and the rich. They all have a place within God's kingdom. But it's often the poor that need to be encouraged, protected, and reminded of their value in God's eyes. And we need to remind ourselves of their value as well. I think of it like we have different awareness months, right? Uh, I think of probably the most obvious example is like Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right? We see pink ribbons everywhere. 
Now, when we, when we have Breast Cancer Awareness Month, that doesn't mean that all other forms of cancer are not important or they're not worth fighting against, they're not worth raising money for. What we say during Breast Cancer Awareness Month is that we're going to take a time out to give special attention to remind ourselves of the tragedy of breast cancer. That doesn't mean all other forms of cancer are are pointless or there's no point in in fighting against them or raising awareness. It just means that we're going to give special attention to them at that moment. And so in God's Word, when it talks about the special concern or special attention God has for the poor, that doesn't mean that He cares about the poor and nobody else. It just means that that those are often the people that need to be reminded of their value. Those are the people that we often need to be reminded to look out for because they can often be forgotten. So easily be trod underfoot. So the first reason to, to not show favoritism is, favoritism is that God has special concern for the poor, and so we should as well. The second one is that it doesn't make practical sense to honor the rich over the poor. We often think that if we... Maybe if we show them favoritism, if we give them the honored seat in the assembly, then they'll do something for us in return. Right? But, but James here points out that it didn't work that way back then and it still doesn't work today. Right? He says, look, it's often the rich, it's often the wealthy who are dragging them to court. It's often, it was their, their lack of concern for the poor that was causing so many problems in the early church community. And so what good is it to show favoritism to people who weren't going to return the favor? So there's a pragmatic side to it as well in their case. And so James is not here. He's not advocating unkindness towards the rich as I just talked about. We just shouldn't honor them and show favor to them at the expense of the poor. And honestly, what do we really gain through favoritism? What do we really gain when we, when we honor one particular group of people over another? We may accomplish some limited success by the world standards, right? If we, if we really, you know, are kind and, and, and really, you know, buddy up with a certain group of people, maybe, maybe they'll give a little bit more to the church, right? There's some maybe limited success that, the, that you may experience. But we're missing out on the bigger picture. We're missing out on God's desire and plan for the church as a whole. You see, for every person that we unjustly favor, for every person that we honor, we do that at the expense of several dozens of other people. By showing favoritism and kindness to one group over another, we're, we're honoring them, but then we're turning our back on everyone else. So what does that really gain? A few extra bucks in the church's bank account? It's not worth it. It's not worth it to turn all those other people away from Christ and to turn them away um, from, from the gospel and, and the, the truth of God's word. Yet when we honor all people, when we treat all people the same, that gives them all an opportunity to know the Lord and to, to be a part of his, his kingdom. And finally, the last reason that he gives here is that, that showing favoritism violates the, the love command. Jesus said that loving your neighbor as yourself is part of the great command, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says, The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the church should be defined by that radical sense of love. That no matter who walks in our doors, we're going to show them the love of Christ in every way that we can. No matter who we encounter, whether it's a, a neighbor, a friend, or even an enemy as Jesus teaches us, we need to show them all the love of God. 
And so therefore, showing favoritism violates that law. Discriminating against people based on external appearances denies them the love that they deserve, the love of God that we should show them through our actions. We should love them just as we love ourselves. And so to deny them that love is to say that we're somehow better than them, that we're putting ourselves even on a pedestal above other people, that they're not worth our time and our effort or our love. We're putting ourselves in a place above them when we show favoritism. And so James here writes that those who show favoritism are indeed lawbreakers. It is a sin to not love others as ourselves. It is a sin to show show one group of people the love of Christ, but then not others. And breaking one aspect of the law means that we're guilty of breaking all of it. And so while, while we can sit here and say, well, I didn't murder anybody, I didn't commit adultery, the reality is that when we show favoritism, we're still breaking the law, and one sin in God's eye is not any greater, any worse than the other. They're all, all sin is guilty of punishment. All sin is deserving of punishment. And thankfully, Christ has taken that on Himself in our behalf. And so just because we don't commit some of the worst sins doesn't mean that we're not sinners. Showing favoritism is just as much a sin as those other things, all needing of God's grace and mercy. And so James encourages us then, to speak and to act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, we need to put in practice what we've learned in the Word. And when we do so, when we, show, when we don't show favoritism, we're showing the reality of our faith. We're showing that it really has made a difference in our lives. It really has made a difference in who we are. We have been transformed by the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. You see, God graciously accepts us even though we are lawbreakers ourselves. So shouldn't we do the same for others? Shouldn't we extend that same sort of grace and mercy to others that we ourselves have received from the Lord? Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Then in Christ, all of those distinctions have been broken down and we are all one in Him. So it doesn't matter if you are uh, wealthy or you are poor. doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white. doesn't matter if you're male or you're female. We can all worship together as one in Christ. And we can even take that a step further. All people, whether they're Christians or not, are made in the image of God and are therefore deserving of dignity, honor, and respect. So it doesn't matter if they're a Muslim, an atheist, a Jewish person, right? all people are deserving of honor and dignity and respect because all people have been made in the image of God. It's good that this, uh, this message is falling on, on the day we celebrate uh, July 4th and Independence Day. The Decla- Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal. Unfortunately, in our country, it took us a long time to figure out that all men included men and women, no matter what their skin color or or ethnic origin is. Uh, But all men, all people, are created equal. And they're made in the image of God. And so God's acceptance does not end our obligation to obey the Word. Rather, it sets us free and enables us to obey it. 
That's the perfect law that gives freedom. It doesn't mean that we no longer have to follow His Word, but He enables us to follow it completely and fully by the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, knowing that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, knowing that we've all received the grace and mercy from the Lord that we need, we should then pass that on to others. James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. That doesn't mean that that we can just we'll just let people do whatever they want, and that's that doesn't that that God's word doesn't really matter. Of course, God wants us to obey His word, but what it means is that when we are able and willing to show mercy, it shows that we ourselves have received God's mercy. That when we are able to be compassionate and care for other people, that we ourselves have been transformed by the compassion and love and care that we ourselves have received from God. Our ability to show mercy to people and extend them grace and love is evidence of God working in our own lives and our own hearts. And conversely, our inability to do that, our inability to show people mercy, is evidence of of the fact that we ourselves have not received it or not known it for ourselves. It's a humbling thought, isn't it? So as we close, I want to encourage you to show mercy, to not play favorites, but to accept all people, regardless of their external or physical appearance, and to show everyone we meet the love of Christ. When we do that, we really are fulfilling God's Word in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for all that You've done for us and continue to do. Help us, Lord, to to be transformed by your mercy and your love so that we can then share that with others. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. In closing, let's uh, sing number, hymn number 284, They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.